I interviewed Brent Payne in the early days of this podcast when he was doing SEO at the Tribune Company 10 years ago, and now he gives an update on his life and career. You did a podcast with me 10 years ago, and you were one of the early podcasts, and you were super cool and super intense. But what have you been doing in the past 10 years? Uh, that's a great, that's a very broad question, first of all. Um, no, I really enjoyed, by the way, the podcast that we did 10 years ago. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I still remember it was in like WNG, WGN Studios. Uh, I think that's honestly been destroyed by now, that entire studio. So that was fun. And um, we, at the time, I was working at Tribune as their SEO director. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Love that time. And what did I do since then? I started a company, started loud interactive, um, started off mainly just helping out, uh, Chicago companies at first. And then it turned into like a worldwide thing. Um, picked up some awesome, uh, companies from some of the contacts that I had, for example, Sean Smith was over at Metro mix, which was a company, uh, that was owned by Tribune. I met him through Tribune when I was working there. And then he went to Groupon. He was like one of the first 100 employees at Groupon. And he brought me in as an SEO guy at Groupon um, doing, you know, consulting work. And that turned into a whale of an opportunity, like crazy numbers that I probably shouldn't state publicly. But wow, I think it's the largest SEO client in the history of SEO. So um, those are some good years. And then, you know, as things change, as always, they eventually went away. Um, and since then, I've just been, you know, enjoying doing consulting work for a lot of different types of companies. Like we had the Groupons, we had the cars.coms, we had the Northwestern hospitals, we had those big fun accounts, but we do a lot of work for startups. So we do a lot of work for, you know, smaller companies too. So that's what I've been doing. SEO still, same thing I was doing back then. <laughs> and you're still bald because remember last time you used to call yourself bald SEO. Do you still do that? No, no. So back then I had, uh, so that was one of the great things about Tribune is they let me do consulting on the side. And luckily I got it in writing because I got a little uh, dicey at times with some of the bosses I had. I actually had 13 different bosses at Tribune while I was there in only four years. So it was a crazy time. Um, but I, uh, I was called bald SEO. I, I thought it was fun because I am bald and I wear it on my sleeve. It's part of my personality at this point. Even my kids are like, dad, what happened to your hair? I'm like, your mom stole it. And then I get very upset for like, until they're like three or four. And then they figure out that she didn't actually steal my hair. So, um, so that's the other thing I did. I had, you know, three more kids since the last time I saw you. So that was fun. Uh, got married, um, living in the burbs, not downtown anymore. So I'm living out in Northfield. Love it. It's great. Big house, older house, but big and get to have plenty of space, especially for, working at home now with this whole COVID thing going on and works out well. Anyway, yeah, I've been having fun. Yeah. How do you like working at home compared to working in an office downtown? You know what? The office downtown was a lot of fun, but it was also very distracting. Um, we had a small, we were in river North and we had, uh, we were on the sixth floor and we had the penthouse. So we had like a balcony it was a lot of fun. Like I, I bought a grill so we could barbecue, do the whole lunch thing for the employees. Um, but it becomes distracting, you know, having, we had 17 employees at our peak and 17 employees, you know, all in their twenties, like it gets distracting and it turns into like, Hey, where's the new kegerator? What's the beer we're going to have? And just stuff that's not really focused on work. Um, I would say, since we've been working from home and I, and I actually shut down the office about a year ago to save money. And frankly, 
our most productive employees were really outside of the office anyway, um, from LA to Colorado to West Virginia. Um, and so I shut it down and saved us seven grand a month is what I was paying for rent. You know, that's outrageous to be spending that type of money for office space when you can be just as productive working from home or more so. For me, I'm better working from home. I have less distractions, can stay focused on what I'm doing. And um, yeah, I like it. I don't mind it. But what about the people interaction? Because some people really don't like working in isolation. They'd rather work as part of a team in person. Yeah, I've never been that way. Like I, I'm that I'm that guy in high school, even in college, where I I was the you know I did all my own work and I didn't work well with others was like something that came up, which I probably shouldn't say, but it's the truth. Like I I kind of like working by myself, and the Zoom things are perfect because I like being able to see faces and be able to see the nonverbal. Like even now you're smiling, right? It's like so I get some feedback. I have no idea if you're even paying attention if it's a phone call. So with Zoom, I think that makes a big difference for me. When when it was a year ago and there was no really Zoom meeting, there was, but not really, um, that was a little tougher because a lot of phone calls and you didn't can't really get the emotional feedback. But since Zoom's like every single call, every single time, um, I like it better. You can see people and I, I don't feel alone. Okay. But I also have three kids under the age of nine or under the age of seven, actually living in my house and a wife and the in-laws are in and out all the time. And, you know, I, I, I don't feel like I'm missing out on people. You know, I remember a long time ago, not <laughs> 10 years ago, you were telling me about how you got to your position. Okay. And you were super, super intense and super motivated. And are you still like that 10 years later? I, I am known to be a little intense um, or quirky is some other terms that people say. Uh, and I think it's just the way I've been wired since a kid. You know, I, at, at age eight or nine, I was, you know, working somewhere. Usually it was like mowing lawns or something at like, probably not eight or nine. It was probably close to like 12, but I grew up in a small town as farming community. And I, figured out that I can mow lawns, not only for dad who paid me nothing, but I could go mow lawns for the neighbor down the street. And that turned into like mowing lawns for everybody in, in the entire block. And it kind of grew from there. I even had my own underground sprinkler system business um, in my high school years. So, you know, it's just, I think it's the way I've always been kind of wired and, and way I like to do things, but I've made some mistakes along this last 10 years too. You know, I started uh, house acros, which was, an amazing idea of connecting with other executives through adrenaline-based activities. I took some awesome people skydiving. Uh, we did, you know, uh, driving Ferraris around racetracks. And we did all this stuff to, like, build true, re like, relationships with, with each other. And it worked out well for building relationships. But it just ended up costing a lot of money. So that was, like, a half a million dollar mistake that I made over the past 10 years. And, and it was fun. But it didn't really... I didn't think it through, right? And I think that's one of the things I learned over the last 10 years is like, you gotta have somewhat of a plan. You can't just wing everything. And even though my personality is more such that I like to kind of wing it and go and kind of take things as they come, um, you can't really do that when it comes to like a full-blown business. So I, I've taken a step back and I've really tried to focus on things that are planned out a little closer. And, um, and I'm doing that now, so.
Wait, so can you explain this thing? What do you mean a uh, half a million dollars? Do you mean you invested a half a million dollars or what was this? Oh, this no, I spent of my own money, like a half a million dollars um, doing uh, the house at gross uh, thing. We made a bunch of videos. We did all sorts of different things. Um, you can check out like Acros video online or what is it now? Um, yeah. Acros TV. That's what it is. Acros TV online. Um, started a number of like adrenaline brands like footin.com, waterscan.com and a few others um, hired like, you know, celebrity people in each of those sports to like come out and do things with us. It was fun. It was a lot of fun, um, but it didn't have a business model behind it to like get to revenue. Um, and I kind of, took on the the poor idea that uh, the revenue would come later. It's a little too startup focused. I think, I think I spent a little bit too much time around, you know, the incubator type, you know, where it's like, Oh, money will show up. Well, it, it doesn't, if you don't have a good business plan. And so I made that mistake and I would say that's, you know, something that I regret. I had a great time and have great relationships out of it, but um, I wouldn't be doing that again. And, and right now, for example, um, I have a plan to utilize the freelancer and the solopreneur uh, market much better than what I've done in the past. Why? Because there are a lot of amazing resources in that, in that sector. Um, I threw out on Facebook just before the pandemic, um, a request for solopreneurs and entrepreneurs and, you know, freelancers to, you know, join the loud consortium. And, um, I got 109 people signed up within a few days. Uh, and these are amazing digital marketers, most of them in-house SEOs or in-house PPC people, web developers, uh, designers, conversion rate uh, optimization people, um, all willing to work uh, with the loud brand, which I thought was just, A, it was a little humbling to, to notice like, wow, like that many people wanna do some, do some work with us. Um, and B, just to see the skill set that, that that's there. It's phenomenal. Like some of the best people in the world. And, um, and so I'm, I'm working out that model right now. I have signed contracts with a lot of them for, um, you know, one thing I want to really pay attention to is an anonymity. I don't want to allow them to still work with us um, without having to share where they're working, maybe somewhere else or share with their employer that information. Um, why? Cause I, I got the opportunity to do that at Tribune. I mean, I was more forth forthcoming with it and hopefully they are being forthcoming as well. Um, or forthright, maybe that's where I want. Um, but they, um, you know, I, I think that they usually are underpaid as I was at Tribune, um, for the talent that they have. And if they can make some additional money, you know, moonlighting or freelancing with loud, then, uh, great. Uh, that's something I want to be able to, to do for them. So, Wait, so you're, um, saying, you're saying that you, you created this consortium in order to hire them to do work for you? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, a little bit of both. So uh, some of them, they need a little more structure. Uh, when I look at what Loud's done over the past 10 years or so, um, I realized that, A, we've made a lot of mistakes, like every business does. Um, but we've also done a number of things right. Uh, we have a pretty good system and process in place of getting results for clients, number one. Number two, we have uh, sales decks and we have uh, contracts that are a little more polished than what I'm seeing in some of the solopreneurs or small uh, niche agencies that, that I've uh, had the opportunity to work with. And I wanna be able to provide them some type of you know groundwork to get some of that stuff done. Uh, and then the other side is I wanted additional talent, right? I wanted talent to be able to get 
you know, more SEO work done. Obviously I've been doing it for years and I'm like the lead SEO guy for that, but I, I can't do everything. Number one. Uh, and number two, there are things I don't know, right? I don't know everything there is to know about, um, you know, conversion rate optimization or social media marketing and all these other like very closely related things to SEO, but aren't quite SEO. And, um, you know, one example, a recent client of ours, we did a great job driving traffic to their site, but we signed a contract with them that was um, uh, really kind of based on return form, ROI. And they weren't getting the ROI because their conversion rate, we expected to be around a half a percent, was actually 0.1%, which I didn't think was even possible. Um, and what did we do? We brought in a conversion rate optimization specialist from the consortium, right, to help them out to improve their conversion rates. And it got closer to 0.5 based off of that, but they just had some fundamental issues that were a problem too. Um, but anyway, like those are examples. And another one, the client of ours, typically I would have told them to go find another paid search company. But uh, since we had the consortium, I sent it out to the consortium and said, hey, there's a paid search opportunity, $30,000 a month spend. Um, who wants to pick it up? You know, it's going to be a 10% of ad spend scenario. And sure enough, I got some in-house person that is phenomenal, already made up the ROI for them um, in what, 60 days. And she's been now working on the account for like four months now. And she's making bank. And we make, I do make 20% on uh, anything coming through the consortium. Uh, why? Well, the brand, the management, things like that. But um, she's thrilled. I'm thrilled. The client's thrilled. It's just, it's a great model. So anyway, didn't mean to get all like crazy on the consortium, but the, uh, the I just, I really like the freelancers. And I think part of it's because I was a freelancer for a number of years um, as an in-house SEO um, for mainly Tribune, but also one call.com before that. And and targets, et cetera. So. Well, okay. So you, you covered a lot of things, but first of all, I just want to go back to the Groupon thing. You said that um, the numbers were good. Okay. Did you mean the numbers that you made in terms of money or do you mean the numbers that Both. they got to their site? Okay. Both. So it was mainly the coupon division that we worked with. Um, and we were hired to pretty much start from scratch their entire coupons division of Groupon. Um, the main competitor being retail me not. And what did we do? We, um, First started with link structure um, and URL structure, content. So we did a lot of keyword research, figure out what was going on. Uh, we set up the site properly. And then from there, it was about getting inbound links. And so we did a lot of link building, uh, which is where a lot of the revenue came from. We did a lot of intense internal link structure uh, stuff as well, because Groupon obviously has a lot of domain authority and domain strength. So we did what I called um, PageRank, uh, like uh, a lot of redirecting. So they had a lot of pages that had been either deleted or removed that were related to other brands. For example, let's say they had a promotion for Bed Bath & Beyond. And that promotion, a regular normal Groupon, okay? And they just killed that page, deleted it, instead of redirecting it to some spot that would have more SEO juice. Now, keep in mind, they got thousands of people excited about this Groupon. They promoted it. They probably got press, right? And then all of a sudden, they just delete the page. Dumb, really dumb. 
So what did we do? Well, we said, hey, where are those URLs? We found them, which is great. That's usually rare. And then we redirected them to the Bed Bath & Beyond coupons page. Bing, 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 right? Now there's a bunch of link structure going in there. Google thinks that there's a lot of links coming in there from years ago. And all of a sudden we had like a massive win there. So that was just one example of like internal link, link structure. I don't know if you call it sculpting. I, I don't really want to use that root, that word and, and piss off Bruce Clay. But, um, you know, that that type of stuff is what we did for for the internal stuff. And then externally, we got a lot of links. Uh, we have a great program on how to get links from different bloggers and other related sites. We have tools that we use to figure out where the link best links are. Um, and we did that for a long time. It was a six month contract that turned into like four years. Um, and the revenue was like over a million dollars uh, a year and well over a million dollars a year in some some cases. So. Hopefully Groupon doesn't sue me for that, but that's that's where we we're at. It was fun. We had a great time, we, and we killed it for him. By the way, we got him to number one for most coupon uh, searches. So Bed Bath Beyond coupons, and you know whatever else, uh, uh, Lansing coupons, etc. You know, they usually rank number one for. And then uh, they did slip a little bit. They felt like number two, number three on some of the updates that Google had had. They probably deserve to be number two or number three, just based off of like where they fall in the industry. Um, and, you know, we had a hard time trying to get them back to number one. And so, you know, we kind of got them to number two pretty consistently, which was a nice bump. Usually if you're number one, you get about 40% of the click throughs. Number two, you get about 20%. Three, number three, you get around 10%. And, um, you know, so it doubled their traffic, right? When we got them back to that spot and, um, but, you know, people change their minds and consulting firms don't stay forever with a company. So they eventually chose someone else. And I don't know how they're doing now. I don't think they're doing that great. But um, they, uh, they chose someone else and, and we moved on. So yeah, how do you, how do you deal with the setbacks? So you talk about, you know, okay, losing a client or um, you said various mistakes or that half million dollar mistakes. Although it can't be that bad because you're still living in Northfield. For people who don't know, it's not necessarily a shabby suburb, but... <laughs> But do you, um, I mean, how do you deal with the setbacks when you have them since you're leading your company? You know, some of them really suck. Like, like just to get real here, um, you know, we had to get rid of a number of employees because of the loss of Groupon. Um, and these are employees that worked their ass off, right, for us for years. Um, very dedicated, very loyal employees that um, I had to get rid of for no fault of their own, um, for really a fault of either myself for spending money on other things like house acros right or because i couldn't come up with a, a new fresh idea to keep a, a client going although i don't really fault myself too much in that realm because it was a six-month contract that we were like four years in on but you know it sucks when you have to get rid of someone for something that they didn't even do like i don't like firing people period but firing people when it's not their fault is even worse. And you can call it a layoff. You can call it whatever you want. But when you have to get rid of someone and they did nothing wrong, it's one of the, it was like outside of my divorce that I had like 10 years, 12 years ago, or maybe longer than that, 14 years ago. Um, it was the hardest thing that I have ever had to do is go through that series of, of downsizing. And I'm telling you, you don't know, how much it, it the entrepreneurial life is awesome and i'll never ever give it up ever 
But those are the times that try you for sure when you have to uh, go through those times. So, so yeah, 2018 sucked um, because we, we went through that downsize. 2019, you know, a lot of adjusting, trying to figure it out, uh, but slow, slowly growing back through things. And frankly, 2020 has been amazing. And it's terrible to say when there's a pandemic and people are like having a hard time out there. Um, but a lot of budgets shifted from paid search or Facebook advertising, right, from Google ads, um, and they wanted to save money. And what they do? They invested in SEO because, frankly, it's smarter for long-term, lower-cost traffic coming to your site. Is it as guaranteed? No. But, you know, our typical clients right now are 5K a month, right, for the consulting side. Sure, you'll pay more for the for the content or link building or things like that. But for 5K a month, that's pretty good for you to have a $60,000 engagement for a year. That's probably going to drive traffic for two to three years for you in comparison to Google ads that once you shut off that faucet, your traffic's gone. And, um, and a lot of people actually came to us and they said, Hey, we used to spend 50 K a month on Google ads. Now we're spending 25. We want to throw 5k at SEO. Can you help us? And we're like, sure, of course we can. So that's, that's what we did. How do you get your clients? Uh, All of them are referrals. Um, And that makes it really weird as far as like planning business stuff is that it's all coming through referrals. People that know uh, me, know other employees, know the brand, have worked with us from, you know, Groupon or Cars or some of the big whales that we've had um, to even the startups that have grown into other things. We had a, we've had some clients come back to us three or four times over the over the course of the life cycle why um just because things start to get messed up and they want to come back and get things fixed right so i gotta i guess as a business owner i need to figure out how to keep those clients the whole time and not have them come in and out and in and out but i think that's also a testament a testament to the fact that we do great work so so there's that anyway not trying to talk too much about the stuff that we're we're doing here but um but yeah but usually uh, usually that's that's where we're at are you? I know that when I talked to you last time, you you seemed like you were really working a lot, like since you were a child. But are you still working like all? The, I know you have a family, but are you still working like all the time? Like, do you ever have a day off? Uh, so I'm trying to take the weekends off, and work life balance is super important. Um, you know, I I am very very happy, um, and that most of the happiness does not come from you know the stuff around me. It comes from the people around me. And so I try and keep that prioritized. Do I still like my things? Sure. I like my things. Uh, I think I'm always going to be that way. You know, my, I remember, um, you know, from a small farming community in Oregon, right? We didn't have much. And when I got to go out with Uncle Doug, who was a director at Hewlett Packard in the 80s, right? And we got to go to Olive Garden of all things. And it's like, wow, Olive Garden this is amazing. Like, this is a cool experience. It kind of got me hooked on some of the like cooler things that you can get through monetary gains. And it's a part of who I am. And, you know, it's not a popular thing. It's just the reality of part of my personality that I do like those things. But I also am very, very focused on family first. And I always have been. My dad has always been family first. And I think that's core to who I am as well. And, um, you know, yeah. I have four kids now. I got a 17 year old from my previous marriage and I got the three kids from, from this marriage. And, um, you know, I, 
I think being a dad is the best possible thing you can do uh, in life. And, and for multiple reasons, but the enjoyment you get, right, the, the satisfaction you get, the overall like learnings that you have for yourself um, and what you can teach others. And, and my dad said to me growing up that just do better than me. And um, that's a really powerful statement if you think about that, because just do better than me can mean a lot of things. I immediately interpreted that as to make more money than me, because that's the way I'm wired. Um, but I've come to realize that it's a lot more than that, right? Just do better than me in your relationships. Just do better than me with your relationships with your kids. Just do better than me. You know, it, it becomes a very, very difficult statement to live up to. Um, and then my dad also has recently said, since I've had kids and make sure your kids do better than you. Um, and I think that speaks to a whole mindset of like, how do we improve the world around us? We do better than our parents and we make sure our kids do better than us. Um, and we set that bar to be vague so that they can interpret it however they need to, depending on where they're at in their life at that time. And I think that's a really important message that if we would just pay attention to that, we would have more hope, we'd have more drive, we'd have more um, love, really, in the world around us. And I think, um, I think that's sorely needed right now. You're listening to the Radio Girl Podcast with Margaret Larkin. And thanks to Jeff Davis, who's at jeffdavis.com, and who's still managed to be very busy during this virus time. And once again, I am teaching podcasting at Columbia College, and we're going to be in the classroom this semester. Well, you know, when I interviewed you last time, okay, so SEO was, it wasn't exactly a new thing, but it wasn't like what it is now. So how do you think it's changed over the years? Yeah, SEO has changed quite a bit. I mean, I guess back then it was like half the life of what it is now, right? It was only, it only existed for about 10 years last time I talked to you. Uh, it's matured a lot more. It's gotten a lot more complicated in some of the weird areas. Like, you know, you have all these display types and, you know, you, if you rank number one for something, you may not get any click throughs because you're like the far right eighth item in a carousel versus being number two, where you're just the blue link that shows up. Um, you know, Google has done better with communicating to uh, webmasters and site owners on what what's going on, but yet they're still not the best source of information on your website, which is kind of ridiculous since they're the ones that have all this data. Um, I complain a lot to the same people I complained about 10 years ago or complained to 10 years ago. Um, why, why do we need an ahrefs.com? Why do we need moz.com? Why do we need SEMrush? Like these are tools that we shouldn't have to need. We should be able to have all of the information that we can get from those sources from Google's uh, search console uh, directly. And yet I still don't see the tools there. And they just, they truncate too much data and, and it's frustrating, but they're trying, right? They're doing better than what they were 10 years ago. So that's one. Number two, Google's bigger like stronger, even more monopolistic than they were 10 years ago. Um, it's scary how strong Google has become in the past 10 years. It's great for the users generally, um, you know, cool features and great search results and things like that. But at the end of the day, they own so much mindshare of the US population, the world's population. And what they choose to rank 
makes a huge difference in what happens in the world. And um, that's concerning that, that they have that much. Example, when I was at Tribune, we were, we Tribune, were thinking about uh, buying Sun-Times. I, I hope that I'm not breaking some other NDA now, but we were thinking about buying Sun-Times and we were told no. Why? Because the government wouldn't let a media company own two different newspapers a radio station and a TV station all in the same market. They were worried about some type of, I think it was antitrust violation of some sort, or maybe it's an SEC violation, I'm not sure, um, or FTC probably, FTC violation. Anyway, one of those. And so um, I now look at it, I'm like, well, Google has 87% mind share for all searches across the entire United States over 95% in places like Australia, right? Where they just dominate the, the search results even more. And I question, how is that possible, right? Like how, how is there no check or balance there to, to put things in place? And yet the other side of me is like, hey, they have awesome products. Like I don't want them to be regulated because they have awesome products. But, but then the other side is like, well, what if the wrong people like, start making the choices <clears throat> on what shows up? and what doesn't show up. So anyway, you got to trust Google, I guess. And maybe we still trust them at this point. And maybe that'll continue. Maybe it won't. Wait, and then earlier you're talking about, um, I know I'm skipping around, but because you you mentioned different things, I just want to let you talk. But um, you're talking about, you know, leading a company, having to lay people off. But how do you literally lead a company instead of just working for yourself? You said you're working with solopreneurs, but and then at one point you were like working for a company, but you had your own thing. But how do you actually lead a company with people? Oh, we still have employees. So I didn't get rid of all the employees, just smaller than what it was then. And we're all um, a distributed company. That's the correct way to say it now, I guess. It's like we're, we're a distributed company, uh, which means we all work from home. Um, and um, what, how do we lead it? I don't know. I don't how know. Do you, about- like, now how did you go from when I last talked to you, you were doing all this stuff and then now you have a company and how did you learn how to do that? How do you actually do that? So there is a great book that I recently read, which I wish I would have read 10 years ago called the E-Myth, the E-Myth Revisited. If you've read it, great. Have you read it? No. Okay. It's amazing. Um, And in there, it talks about how most of us that end up starting our own companies uh, started off being great technicians or to put it in an analogy, we made really awesome pies and we made these pies. They're great. Everyone loved them. And we sold them through the bakery. And we all of a sudden woke up one day and said, you know what? This is ridiculous. Like I'm making all the pies that are being bought, but being purchased. Why am I doing this for someone else? And I'm getting paid six bucks an hour to make pies when I could be making millions owning my own bakery. So we go out and we decide to start our own bakery. That probably works out fine at first because most of our contacts and most of the people that we know um, know that we left this bakery and start our own bakery to make these amazing pies that everybody loves. That works out fine for a while. But then we realize that there is a lot of work in running a bakery and all we're really good at is just making pies. So then what do we do? We hire someone to run the bakery. And at first we hire them just to be the ones that like, turn on the sign and open the door every single day, maybe sweep the floors. And then it turns into them running the cash register and, you know, making sure that we, you know, have brownies and cookies and, you know, truffles, right. Uh, in our offering. 
and they start making decisions that they aren't qualified to know, right? They're probably started with accounting or something, and now they're running everything. And then, and that tends to happen a lot in uh, entrepreneurs. We, we start from building pies or making pies, and we all of a sudden own a bakery. Well, that kind of happened with me, right? I started doing SEO, very good at SEO. I've done it all my life, well, not all my life, but since my late 20s, right? And it's amazing, and, and I've loved it. But then you start having to run a company and you don't know what the hell you're doing. You just don't. And you make mistakes and hopefully you have enough margin to like make up for those mistakes. And you learn things along the way. Um, I truly believe that the United States should require that you have a degree in something, whatever that is, right? So a business degree, some type of maybe an MBA. I'm not sure where the line should be drawn, but somewhere or at least a test that we have to take before we start our own company, before we can buy the, the LLC or the, or the ink or whatever it may be, because we are woefully unprepared usually to start our own business. And we make a lot of mistakes that cost us a lot of money and we'd be much more efficient if we had to study for something similar to an LSAT, right? And, and we had got this certification, which allowed us to then create our own company. So, um, so how did I do it? I don't know. I made a lot of mistakes and apparently I got some right and some wrong. But you said you learned things. What did you learn? Uh, I learned that I don't know everything, which, you know, believe it or not, was a learning for me because uh, being from a small town, being the valedictorian, being the National Honor Society president, like blah, 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 blah. I thought that I was amazing. Well, come to find out, I'm not amazing. I'm good, but I'm not amazing at everything. And in some areas, I'm maybe I'm amazing in some areas, but for the most part, I'm not. Uh, so that's one. So you learn a little bit of uh, humility. Number two, uh, I learned that people are really important. Um, you need to treat them well, but you also need to make sure that there's a balance between uh, management and friendship, right? There's like a weird line there that tends to happen on both sides. And so advantages or, or people can take advantage of each other uh, in that relationship that um, can be can be difficult for the business and for people personally. Right? A lot of the reason why I, it hurt so much to get rid of some of these people is because I was truly friends with them, right? Maybe that was a mistake. Maybe I should have kept that line a little stronger. Um, other things I learned... Um, Make sure you you have a general understanding of even the things you hate to do. Like I I hate accounting, for example, um, but I need to have a general understanding of what accounting is and not just trust that somebody else is taking care of it properly or hire it out to maybe a, a consulting firm. Uh, I now use a consulting firm for accounting stuff, and I think that keeps me informed better on what's going on uh, than just completely washing your hands of it and letting someone else handle it, right? Uh, I don't know, probably lots and lots of other things too. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about accounting. I'm taking an account. I'm going to take an accounting class starting next week. But yeah, about accounting, because I think a lot of businesses don't understand balance sheets and so forth. So would you agree with that? Oh, I absolutely agree. You know, I've, I just in the past two years have figured out like QuickBooks and how to run the proper reports in there, right? I Before I let someone else do it or I let multiple people do it. I also hired a firm now, so I have an accounting firm that's doing it right. Um, and those are things that you 
you abhor you abhor doing them as a person and since you're the boss you don't have to so you give someone else to deal with well that sometimes is a major mistake right you don't want to make uh make make decisions by uh by ab, ab, what is it abdication i think it's what the book says you know you're making you mean abdication abdication yes right make make decisions through abdication oh so you're saying that you should know a little of everything you should know a little of everything and you shouldn't just like pawn it off on people just because you don't want to deal with it right so a lot of the management style you end up taking when you are an an entrepreneur is like, I don't want to deal with this. So you do it. I don't want to deal with this. You do it. Oh, well, wait a second. Maybe that's really important and you should learn how to do it or at least know how it works. So you can hire the right person to do it. Well, how do you deal with all the competition now? Because when you were doing, I keep going back to when you were doing it, cause you were sort of in the early days, even before you worked at Tribune, I remember you talked about um, these other companies you work for, but now there's a lot more competition. So how do you deal with it? You know, uh, unfortunately for uh, for the industry, a lot of those other companies are um, they, they don't they don't perform, and and that's the part that kind of sucks in the industry is that we have so many companies that don't do anything, and then we have a lot more companies that do a little bit, um, but most of them are just playing the numbers on hoping that if they pick up a hundred accounts. 25 of them will automatically go up because of just randomness. And so they get rid of the other 75, they keep the 25, they point to those. And it's just really slimy out there. And it's it, it sucks to be part of an industry that has so many bad players in it, but they typically don't last long. They last six months to a year, but there's not, there's not a single client we have where they haven't had a negative experience with an SEO. And that's sad, that's really sad, but it's the reality of our industry. So yes, there's a lot more competition, but it doesn't have a major impact to the business because the good players are still a few and probably the same, pretty close to the same numbers it was 10 years ago. And then lastly, I would say that it makes it tougher for the sales process. Right, being able to send an email marketing campaign out that to, to cold leads and be able to get some type of return, we've given up on that model. Like we focus solely on uh, using the network that we have, building up that network for referrals, and then utilizing the referral process to get them into a sales funnel and um, and you know hopefully make a make a client out of them. Okay, so what do you, um, what are some SEO tips that you have? SEO tips. Um, so, you know, the, the, the basics are always there. Popularity, authority, relevance, make sure your, your content's relevant, et cetera. Um, I would say longer form content is one of the bigger changes that's happened through the years. Uh, it's not the 350 word blog post anymore. It's more like the 3000 word blog post. Um, and I'm not yeah, really- Why is that? Google wants more key phrases on a single page. They want depth of knowledge and breadth of a little bit of breadth of topic. Um, so you can't just talk about blue widgets anymore. You got to talk about all the different types of widgets and how blue widgets tie to red widgets and green widgets and also those theme of things. And that's, that's interesting. And that's a huge change that, that's happened. Number two, exactness doesn't matter as much in SEO, right? It's not about the exact key phrase being uh, in the document X number of times. 
um, and all that rudimentary algorithm stuff that we used to do, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, now it's about the overall like health, strength, like uh, helpfulness, right? Like very general terms like that, but it makes a difference. Uh, another is link building is different. Link building just used to be about get the anchor text, get the title tag, get the H1 tag, get a couple paragraphs of text that are relevant to the thing and get some links back, right? Like we, we did a phenomenal job for years with Groupon uh, around, you know, some basic SEO stuff like that. some basic link building SEO stuff like that. Um, but now it's much more about entity relationships. Like we just had a client uh, yesterday or two days ago, get a write up in the New York post um, and there was no link in the article whatsoever, but their name was mentioned. The executive's name was mentioned. The uh, title that the executive had was mentioned and the city and state that the company was located in was mentioned. What does Google do? They look at that entity association. They can disambiguate it from another company's, another company that may have a similar name, a similar executive name, et cetera. But they can say from with a strong degree of assurance that, okay, this is this company which has this domain, therefore we're going to pass SEO juice to it. They had a record day from SEO, not from referrals, not from the New York Post article. They had a record day on Saturday and Sunday from the story that dropped on Thursday or Friday um, from this um, media post. No links, no links ever happened. But there is enough signals for Google to clarify that this is XYZ company from this city in this state. And that is a monumental SEO change um, that I don't think most SEOs are paying attention to and that you don't have to have the physical link. Like CNN hasn't been linking for years. New York Times hasn't been linking for years. Even, even us at Tribune. Like it was very difficult to get an actual link into a number of our articles for years. It's the content management systems have changed, right? All of this stuff has changed. And you're telling me that Google doesn't weigh the opinion or the value or the mention from a major news publication about a topic that is relevant to the, the company being mentioned? Of course it does, right? And, and that's what's changed. Social media has changed, right? The social media aspect of things. While Google doesn't weigh how many likes or how many shares or, you know, how many comments like a piece of social media like Facebook or Twitter might have on link structure, um, those things matter to buzzworthiness, right? The, the freshness and like how important it is right now, et cetera. Um, so that's changed. Uh, what should we do for tips? Um, write quality content, sure, okay? Write long form quality content. Add other media types. So video is super important, super, super important for your uh, SEO now. So not just on YouTube, but embedding that YouTube video into your pages with long form content, proper keyword research, you know, to get a fuller media experience for the end user. Page speed matters a lot, uh, how quickly the pages load. I think it's a bit self-serving for Google, to be honest with you. I don't know if a user can tell or care if it's a half a millisecond or a half a second versus three quarters of a second of a page to load. But I can tell you who does care, Google, when they crawl a trillion web pages, that is a lot of more time 
an expense for them if it takes 50% longer for them to get that page downloaded. So I think it's a bit self-serving, but, um, but that's, that's important too. So page speed matters. Well, how do you find out about the changes that Google's making? Well, first of all, is Google the reference that you go by? And also, how do you find out about the changes? So Google is still the reference. Um, you know, what they do is pretty much the only thing that matters. Although I'm hopeful of uh, Apple starting a search engine of their own. Uh, there's a lot of rumblings around that. Uh, so I'm hoping that, you know, that actually happens. Um, you know, people talk about DuckDuckGo, but they have no market share at all. Um, Bing does a decent job, but they, you know, keep losing ground as soon as, uh, you know, Google, you know, does X, Y, or Z. And they just have so many products that are just so good that tie you back into the Chrome browser and the search engine. So, um, so yeah, Google's the default. How do I learn about things? Um, you know, not to give too much credit, but I think Barry Schwartz is, is great as a person that keeps up to date on what's going on with the Google algorithm. Um, so, you know, you might want to take a look at him. Um, I do utilize a lot of the blogs that Google has officially. So the Google, you know, Webmaster Tools blog and, you know, places like that. Um, I used to use Moz a lot, um, but after Moz, you know, had Rand's departure, I, I don't use them as much as I used to. Um, Ahrefs does a decent job on, on, on tactics and strategies, which are good. Um, but for algorithm changes, typically it's, you know, Twitter and Google's direct communication. And, um, you know, keep in mind, Google's changing their algorithm every day. So it's not like there's, it's not like it used to be where it's like, oh, once a quarter, everything shifts. Um, they do have core algorithm updates. They had a huge one on May 4th, for example, that, you know, had some pretty decent shakeup for, for clients. But, um, but it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of it's, yeah, communication directly from Google. Well, do you remember the, inter I don't know how old you are, but do you remember the internet in the 90s? Were you around? Were you online? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. What do you think about, you know, how it's changed over the years from like those 90s early days to now? The 90s were really easy to spam. Um, you know, the Alta Vistas, the Lycos, the Excites, the, you know, even Dogpile, which was like a compilation of all those together. Um, it was easy to spam. Like I, I would set up Dory pages all the time and super easy to, you know, get things to rank because that's how I started in the industry. You know, I was working with Amazon as a vendor for them, selling flashcards for digital cameras. And I was setting up sites that pointed back into their, uh, you know, pages on Amazon to get us to rank. Uh, and it worked great. I ended up, you know, selling $2.3 million a month in flashcards at, 50, at $55 a piece um, through Amazon. So it worked, but, um, you know, I, I don't prefer the nineties internet to today. I think it was, um, too easy to game it and it wasn't the right experience for the internet. So I'm thrilled that Google came along. Absolutely thrilled. I think it was very good for humanity. I think that Google's probably getting close to running their course. Um, and maybe not. But I think there's going to be a time soon, maybe maybe this generation, maybe the, the Gen Zs, I'm not sure, where you're going to have a, a kickback of, of the brand when it comes to Google, just because of the sheer size and strength and, you know, do no evil is their motto, but I'm not sure where they, where they sit with that right now. So I remember last time where you, you talked about, about your background and so forth, but yeah, you sound very, like, again, it's like you've not changed with your success. 
Well, good. I think that's good. I'm glad to hear that that's the case. Uh, you know, it, it it doesn't. At the end of the day, you you need to stay focused on the right things, right? And yeah, I got a boat now, and I've got a you know expensive SUV, and I've got a Tesla. Like I got things, but those things are just things, right? I also went through a house fire when I was 16 years old, and I shoveled out my my bedroom, literally shoveled out my bedroom with a shovel on my 16th birthday. Um, so things are replaceable and things are not permanent, right? People are, family is forever, right? Those are the things that really matter. And so I'm driven. I love the, I love the stuff, but the stuff is replaceable. And frankly, it just, it can be here today and gone tomorrow and oh, well. Right. But when you have loss of people, even the employees, right, you have loss of people that 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 stings and, and that that makes an impact. Let me know what you think. Email me at Margaret at RadioGirl.us. You can also call or text me at 716-202-TALK. That's 8255. And like the Radio Girl Facebook page. You can find out about who's coming up next, see pictures, listen to audio and more.